Hello, everybody, and welcome back to our Bible study series on the book of Job. And before we dive into what Holy Scripture has to say, I want to clarify a couple things for people that have heard about the Very Lutheran Project in the Catacomb Synod. Very briefly. First of all, the Catacomb Synod is not online church. There have been some people claiming that we are an internet church, like Aletheia, where a pastor gets up there and live streams services on Sundays. And while occasionally we will do a litany prayer service for the sake of getting everybody praying together, nothing replaces the gathering of the believers. And so, the Very Lutheran Project provides house church resources for the loose confederation of home congregations that is the Catacomb Synod. My hope and my prayer for everybody that benefits from these free resources, whether they are in a house church or not, is that you still go to church, that you still spend time with other believers in worship and in edification. This is important for everybody because, well, I don't have any control over the house churches, even though I am the director of the Catacomb Synod and the Very Lutheran Project. You have freedom to establish something that will endure and you can worship no matter where you are, no matter what your location and your circumstances, you can still have church with other believers. And with that said, for those who are in total isolation, we are working on a solo service that doesn't replace a divine service in which gathers all the believers together, but it does help cover a little bit of the isolation and the alienation we feel when we can't go to church due to travel or environmental disasters or other concerns. Please stay tuned for that. If anybody wishes to support the Very Lutheran Project, we do urge you to take a look at verylutheran.gumroad.com for anybody who would like to make a donation for tithes and offerings. We heartily appreciate and are extremely grateful for that, but I will never make that a demand of you. Please rejoice in the freedom that you have in Christ. With that, we're going to get started here, opening up our Bibles into the book of James, the fifth chapter, beginning in the seventh verse. Hear the word of our Lord. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And we want to hone in on that 11th verse, that it is a matter of being steadfast. Our dear friend Job, 
who I believe with my whole heart wrote this book, was a patient and steadfast man. And as such, St. James speaks of him in the 10th verse as one of the prophets. He mentions the prophets and their suffering, their patience, and immediately brings up Job. As we turn to Job chapter 6 this evening, we will see an example of his steadfastness. Now, to catch everybody up, Job's friend, Eliphaz the Temanite, spent the 4th and the 5th chapters preaching something like Lutheran doctrine to Job. Speaking of how the law works, speaking of how Job should appeal to God for help, because look at how it is supposed to happen with the righteous. Yet at the same time, in case Job had sinned, he says, why not go to the Lord? Why not? He is compassionate and merciful. And while later in the book of Job, at the very last chapter, God will say, that Eliphaz has spoken wrongly about God, everything Eliphaz has said in the fourth and fifth chapters is technically true, especially in the last three verses of, verse, of chapter 5, where he says, You shall know also that your offspring shall be many, and your descendants as the grass of the earth. You shall come to your grave in ripe old age, like a sheaf gathered up in its season, Behold, we have searched out, it is true, hear and know it for your good. And indeed, what Eliphaz said is almost prophetic in how it came true. But let us look at Job's response. And I want to key in what we just read from St. James' epistle, his steadfastness. And let us begin in chapter 6, the first verse. Then Job answered and said, Oh, that my vexation were weighed, and all my calamity laid in the balances. For then it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore, my words have been rash. For the arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks their poison. The terrors of God are arrayed against me. Does the wild donkey bray when he has grass, or the ox low over his fodder? Can that which is tasteless be eaten without salt, or is there any taste in the juice of the mallow? My appetite refuses to touch them. There is food that is loathsome to me. Oh, that I might have my request, and that God would fulfill my hope. That it would please God to crush me, that he would let loose his hand and cut me off. This would be my comfort. I would even exult in pain unsparing, for I have not denied the words of the Holy One. What is my strength that I should wait? And what is my end that I should be patient? Is my strength at the strength of stones, or is my flesh bronze? Have I any help in me when resource is driven from me? He who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. My brothers are treacherous as a torrent bed, as torrential streams that pass by, which are dark with ice, and where the snow hides itself. When they melt, they disappear. When it is hot, they vanish from their place. The caravans turn aside from their course. They go up into the waste and perish. The caravans of Tamal look, the travelers of Sheba hope. They are ashamed because they were confident. They come there and are disappointed. For you have now become nothing. You see my calamity and are afraid. Have I said, make me a gift? 
or from your wealth offer a bribe for me, or deliver me from the adversary's hand, or redeem me from the hand of the ruthless? Teach me, and I'll be silent. Make me understand how I have gone astray. How forceful are upright words, but what does reproof from you reprove? Do you think that you can reprove words when the speech of a despairing man is wind? You would even cast lots over the fatherless and bargain over your friend. But now, be pleased to look at me, for I will not lie to your face. Please, turn. Let no injustice be done. Turn now, my vindication is at stake. Is there any injustice on my tongue? Cannot my palate discern the cause of calamity? This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Starting over at the first verse, it said, Then Job answered and said. He answers Eliphaz's exhortation. Eliphaz has told him to do two things. One, seek an audience with God. Seek him. Take your complaint to God. After all, if you are a righteous man, then you should have nothing to fear because God loves the righteous, after all, as the Psalms say. Why not go to him? He can make this right. But, by the way, we are all sinners, Job. And don't you know that our God is merciful and you can turn to him for any sin that may have happened? Eliphaz presents Job with law and gospel, and Job is not having it. We, as Lutherans, need to understand that the law and gospel hermeneutic, the dynamic, the two voices with which our Lord speaks to every single believer are not always appropriate to somebody's suffering. We think of it this way. The law makes you feel bad. The gospel makes you feel good. The law condemns you, lex semper accusat, and then the gospel pours that sweet salve upon the wounds that the law has inflicted. What if it's not applicable in this moment? What if our human wisdom fails in this moment and we get a Job who answers us? He doesn't just accept it. He doesn't respond with the psychology of Lutheran theology where you're supposed to start feeling penitent and then you're supposed to uh, rejoice in the faith that God has granted you. Well, if they know better, they're going to answer it. And it is something of a rebuke. In verse 2, he says, Oh, that my vexation were weighed and all my calamity laid in the balances. It would be heavier than the sand of the sea. And he admits, Therefore my words have been rash. If we turn to the last chapter of Job, how does Job answer God when God more or less explodes at Job? He says, I know that you can do all things, in Job chapter 42, the second verse, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Uh, Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand. Ah, Job admits, even here, in chapter 6, he knows that he is speaking a bit rashly. He knows that he has exploded in his own way, 
with his despair and his suffering. This man, being a saint, being something of a prophet, is self-aware even of his own imperfections. He will never deny that he has sinned in the past, as we will see later in the book, probably three or so weeks from now. He won't deny that he's a sinner. But he will recognize that sin, his sin, is not the issue here. Especially, and I will never tire of reminding everybody listening to this, with the first chapter, first verse of Job, which says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. If God says Job is blameless, and Job knows that he is blameless, he is a humble man, as a righteous man should be, but he knows that he is blameless, he is sidestepping what Eliphaz says. He is more or less saying, Eliphaz, your argument, your law and gospel presentation that you've given me does not apply here, and all you are doing is adding harm. Now in verse 4, he says, The arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks their poison. The terrors of God are arrayed against me. We are tempted to think that in this moment, Job has blasphemed. We are tempted to say, Oh my goodness, Job, what are you doing? That's, that's wickedness to say that God has terrors, that he has arrows. I wouldn't say that necessarily. We worship a terrifying God. He is loving, he is compassionate, he is merciful, but have we forgotten that this is the same God who will cast all of his enemies, all non-believers, into hell to be tormented forever? Have we forgotten that this is the God that made creatures on this earth that we almost universally find to be terrifying? How many of us have found a leech on their skin, drinking their blood, ripped it off and said, oh, how cute. No, our Lord is perfectly capable of things that scare the dickens out of us. And Job is more than willing to say that ultimately God is responsible for this. Now in chapter 1, verse 22, it says, In all this, God, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. It repeats that in, again in chapter 2, verse 10. In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. And we will see... In the last chapter of Job, what does the writer of Job, Job himself, what does he say regarding his whole situation? Well, it says here, The Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. The Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Sure. But when his family comes in, then came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before and ate bread with him in his house. And they showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil or disaster that the Lord had brought upon him. 
The scripture does not deny that God is the one responsible for Job's situation. He is not sinning with his tongue when he says in the sixth chapter, the arrows of the Almighty are in me, the terrors of God are arrayed against me. He is not sinning when he says this, and we as believers need to wrestle with that. We need to be aware that there are times in which our God can and will cause suffering in our lives. And as Job will later on announce, it will not make sense to us. It will feel entirely unjustified. But he does say in verse 5, Does the wild donkey bray when he has grass? Or the ox low over his fodder? Does anybody make a complaint when they're well fed? I have a legitimate complaint. I am in real pain here. I should be able to, like any animal that is starving, I should be able to say this is wrong and voice my pain. Can that which is tasteless be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the juice of the mallow? My appetite refuses to touch them. They are as food that is loathsome to me. There is a double entendre with that verse. Verses 6 and 7. In a certain sense, Eliphaz has given him spiritual food that is of no benefit to him. It is saltless. It is tasteless. It is of no value to him. And the mallow plant itself, if you take a big bite out of it, the slimy glop that comes out of it, It's not appealing, even if maybe it's nourishing. It's not what Job needs. But at the same time, we cannot forget that in this moment, in his conversation, Job is still covered in sores and blisters. The devil touched him. And if the devil touches you, I'm sure that not much else, not much different is going to happen to you. He's bleeding. He's likely got pus-filled, infected blisters and wounds all over his body. He is sick. He has been sitting in ashes for a whole week. Is the man in good health? Absolutely not. But he is connecting what Eliphaz is saying to his current lack of an appetite, as after seven days he has probably not eaten anything. Oh, that I might have my request, he says in verse 8, and that God would fulfill my hope, that it would please God to crush me, that he would let loose his hand and cut me off. If he dies, this would be my comfort. I would even exult in pain unsparing, for I have not denied the words of the Holy One. What is my strength that I should wait? And what is my end that I should be patient? Is my strength the strength of stones, or is my flesh bronze? Have I any help in me when resource is driven from me? Job comes to his friends and says, listen, I wish I could die. He's lost everything, his friends, his workers, his children, his flocks, everything stolen or murdered, everything has died around him, and even his own wife looks at him, probably in this very moment, shaking her head, wishing that he would just curse God and die. His own marriage is falling apart. And having lost everything, the man whom God says is blameless and upright is not willing to murder himself. So he says... I wish that God would just kill me and end it. 
end my suffering. Can we please just get to that? Now then, at this moment, Job remembers, oh yeah, my friends spoke to me. The ones who are, as verse 15 says, treacherous as a torrent bed, as torrential streams that pass away, dark with ice and where the snow hides itself. And when they melt, they disappear. When it is hot, they vanish from their place. Any words of comfort Eliphaz is given, and he's the only one that's spoken to Job thus far, well, it's, it's like water. It's hiding ice. It's going to evaporate. The heat's going to come. It's going to be gone. What benefit is this to Job? The kind of spiritual platitudes that Eliphaz is giving. And he says, listen, the caravans are passing by. They're ashamed because they were confident. They come there and they're disappointed. But you three... In verse 21, you have now become nothing. You see my calamity and are afraid. They've sat with him now for seven days, commiserating, and God blessed them for that. They showed comfort to him. But he says, now you get a taste of this. You know what it feels like to have nothing and be nothing, because that's all you're surrounded by. You don't have any of my children here, do you? You don't have my flocks. You have now become nothing, and the hidden clause there is like me. You see my calamity and are afraid. But in the midst of that, to justify himself just a little bit, he says, Have I said, make me a gift? Or from your wealth, offer a bribe for me? Or deliver me from the adversary's hand? He said, Have I asked you for anything? Here you are now. You're afraid for your own account. You are terrified for your own situation. You hope that this does not happen to you. But note here, I have just been sitting here hoping that God might end it by killing me or by putting me in so much pain that I would go insane and stop thinking altogether on the suffering that I have. But now, sarcastically, Job says, go ahead. Verse 24, teach me and I will be silent. Make me understand how I have gone astray. How forceful are upright words. But what does reproof from you reprove? Remember St. James says that Job was steadfast. As a blameless and upright man, he understood that this is not about his sin. This is a man who rightly repented of any sin that he even thought that he committed. He consecrated his children. He knows that this is not the angle to go at for his circumstances. So any reproof that they offer, even though he invites it, he says, go ahead, let's talk. Let's have that conversation. Tell me where I went wrong, Eliphaz, Bildad, Zohar. Go ahead, tell me. I'm going to fight back, though. You cannot reprove me here. Do you think, he says in verse 26, that you can reprove words when the speech of a despairing man is wind? You would even cast lots over the fatherless and bargain over your friend. Go ahead, feel righteous. I'm ready for it. Be pleased to look at me, for I will not lie to your face. I'm going to tell it like it is. I'm there. You're looking at me going, I don't want to be there in that man's situation, but I am there. I'm a despairing man, and all I can do is blow the wind of my speech at you. Let's roll. Let's rumble. Let's do this. Please turn, he says in verse 29. 
Let no injustice be done. Turn now, my vindication is at stake. Is there any injustice on my tongue? Cannot my palate discern the cause of calamity? Don't you friends of mine know me a little bit better than this? Now we note, Job recognizes that he speaks rashly. The very beginning of this chapter. He's getting a little bit spicier. And over the course of the book of Job, he and his friends are going to speak to each other more and more spicy words, more testy, more emotionally charged. In Job, he's the first to start escalating. He says, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm blameless. I didn't do anything wrong. And even if I did, or even if I'm doing that now, sure, I'm speaking rashly, but let's have that conversation. He's ready to argue. He's ready to fight. He understands where his justification comes from, and then he will seek an answer. And if he doesn't get an answer, as he said, he says, God, kill me. Some of us can relate to that. Some of us listening to this and reading this chapter can say, I have been there. I was not willing to commit suicide, a mortal sin. But I know what it's like to ask God to crush me. Just get it over with. There's no point to me being here. It's not going to get better. I can't see anything in the future for this. Just end me. End this pain. We know what that feels like. Unlike Job, though, when I have been in that situation, and if you have been in that situation, there is a good chance that the majority of those situations we can say to ourselves, either we deserved it, or it was for a good cause, and maybe we recognized that immediately. For those of us who are suffering needlessly, senselessly, unjustly, if we have the arrows of the Lord piercing us for some reason that we cannot discern, if we are in that confusing situation, we look to the steadfastness of Job as our example. We will hear more from Job next week as he continues his speech and then is answered by another one of his friends. But until then, the Lord bless you and keep you. Amen and amen.